ACDI Podcast. Earlier on the show, we heard how college leaders are calling on the government to make lessons on global warming compulsory. They say the UK is unlikely to reach its net zero target without change. So how do we put climate change into the curriculum? The report also blames climate change for a deteriorating educational environment. And it highlights the extraordinary challenges to girls' education worldwide. Coinciding with the meeting, the Texas Freedom Network held a rally to support materials that teach climate change. For too long, our curriculum standards and textbooks have been allowed to languish in denial over changes rapidly taking place on our planet and how humanity has impacted those changes. More flooding in England and around the world as scientists say we need better education on climate change impacts. Welcome to the Heat Waves of Change, a climate democracy initiative podcast. My name is Portia Cook. Our approach at CDI is that we cannot solve the climate crisis without first, or at least currently, fixing our democracy. Climate and democracy are flip sides of the same coin. In this podcast, we bring together people to have important discussions about our democracy and the urgent climate crisis we face. Our goal is to explore these topics together so we can gain perspective on how we can confront today's climate crisis with the tools and knowledge that we need. We convene people, communicate priorities, and catalyze solutions by working with people in and across society. And today, we're talking about education, a topic that not only shapes our world, empowers our communities, and equips us to confront the challenges of our time, but also holds the key to creating a brighter future for generations to come. I'm here today with JJ McKinney, a student at Colorado State University here as a CDI correspondent. Thank you for joining us today, JJ. There is no question that climate anxiety is real. And as a mom of two young humans, I'm terrified as to the world we're leading them into. And as we stare down the pathway of huge elections next year, we must work to get to the bottom of this. I have also been thinking about our education system. It's crazy to think about the fact that education is a key component of the political debate today. And yet, the more we learn about climate and democracy, the more we are able to understand how to solve them. And the fact is, many of us just don't know much about how the world works, about what's making the water off the coast of Florida so warm, and why storms are getting stronger every year. This is why today we are talking with Dr. Andrea Duffy, who is the Assistant Vice Provost at Colorado State University and a pro in European, Middle Eastern, Ottoman, and Environmental Histories. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Of course. It's wonderful to meet you. It's great to meet you both, too. Yes. And great to be here. Yes. On a beautiful Colorado State University campus. Exactly. And a beautiful day. <laughs> it is. It definitely hot, is. Speaking of the climate crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought my five-year-old with me today. Just from the car to the door, he was like, I don't think I can walk anymore. It's yeah. too hot. We're unprepared. It's been relatively cool and rainy this summer, so... Yeah. Interesting, right? Something that I've never really experienced here in Fort Collins. You know, we have your typical rain, but I think that's a reason why the summer has felt so short is because all of June was Mm -hmm. rain feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even, we didn't even get we to We missed our summer. 100%. <laughs> My kids are like, we haven't gone hiking like we mm-hmm. usually do or mm-hmm. paddle boarding. I'm mm-hmm. like, I know. 
kind of makes me mad because things like this make people who don't believe in global warming, it gives them rationale mm -hmm. and they don't understand that it's not just warming. It is warming, but it's also more extreme weather. And we're experiencing that as well. The like, entire this is an example. world is experiencing it now. And I think this is one of the first times that people are really like, okay, I'm seeing the effects. I'm feeling the effects. What is it's in your face now? Exactly. <laughs> There's no so. denying it now. I hope so. We we've been ignoring it for so long. When it comes to tackling climate change, knowledge and education serve as essential building blocks. In this clip we have for you from ABC, you'll hear how schools on the East Coast are taking steps to introduce environmental education as early as possible. Let's take a listen and then we'll discuss it to see what you think. As we continue to recognize Climate Week here in New York, we take a look at our neighbor, New Jersey. The Garden State, sticking true to its name, launched a climate change curriculum for all public school students this year. New Jersey, the first state to implement climate change into its school curriculum. The state says it plans to teach climate change across K through 12th grade, aiming to give every student the opportunity to study and understand the climate crisis by giving them the tools and knowledge to combat climate change. There seems to be a big push nowadays in climate knowledge and then the push for not just past generations, but the current and new generations to start learning more curriculum about climate change. So what else can Colorado do to prepare the next generation to be effective citizens in a thriving democracy facing climate change? Well, that is a tough question. We certainly can do more than we're already doing, but I think we are already doing more than some states. Great to see the initiative that New Jersey has taken. They need it there. When I lived in New Jersey, we would always laugh about it being the garden state because it's, I mean, it's a garden of strip malls and highways, mostly. <laughs> right. A lot of urban runoff, not a lot of nature. There are some green spaces, but you have to get off the beaten track to find them. Um, Colorado did international reputation for its natural spaces. So it's a natural place to start for the kind of steps that we need and really to be a world leader, I think, in promoting response to climate change and encouraging the next generation. And that I think is particularly key in addressing our climate crisis. We need to educate our kids first and our kids can actually educate us. I still remember being a little kid and celebrating Earth Day, planting a tree, recycling. Recycling was a a fairly new thing when I was a little kid and it certainly didn't stick with my parents. They didn't get that growing up. It wasn't a thing yet. But because it was pushed so hard in my elementary school, I got my parents to recycle and I taught them. And I think that kind of model can be really effective way for us to to spread the news and more broadly get people on board with addressing the climate crisis. We start with kids as some impact with my students when I get them, but even better if they're already primed, if they're already aware of the climate crisis. And they usually are these days. More and more I see students by the time they come to college, regardless of where they come from on the political spectrum, regardless of where they come from in the world, in Colorado and beyond, they're concerned about what is happening to our world and they want to address it. And I find that heartening and inspiring because that that's not going to solve it alone, but we need to recognize the problem before we can address it. And I think we're finally starting to recognize it as a culture. Being someone that has children myself, I have a 10-year-old and then I have a five-year-old. Um, I think here in Colorado, you're spot on. It is absolutely implemented into their curriculum. Like you said, with recycling, Earth Day, bike to school mm -hmm. day that we participate every mm -hmm. single year. But not only that, here in Colorado, we are outdoorsy people. Nature is 
our backyard. So I think how in our face nature is. My children, when they're on recess, they're allowed to, you know, they have a teacher go with them and they can go to the creek and Mm -hmm. dig for bugs Mm -hmm. and go play in the grass and go to the trees and take field trips to mountains and rivers Mm -hmm. and just having that appreciation for our earth Mm -hmm. and for nature and being able to incorporate themselves in it in that sense, I think is also a part of that learning. So no, I agree with you. Starting with our children and then, you know, you think about, well, how do you teach the older generations? Our children are teaching us Mm -hmm. and our grand, my, my mother, their grandparents and grandfathers. Too, about what we're already doing, because I think when I talk to my students, I, I teach environmental history and I and I teach interdisciplinary environmental studies. And particularly when I talk to students about this, about the climate crisis, it can seem overwhelming. It can seem daunting and it's easy to lose hope. And I try not to give them the message of it's all on you. You know, we messed the world up. Please fix it. Exactly. Um, I heard that message when I was a kid and I hated it. Yeah, it's scary. like, well, why did you mess it up? You know, why don't you do <laughs> like, something? You're not dead. Yeah. It's too big for me to do anything. Like, <laughs> yeah. Do and do? then it just <laughs> seems enormous. And it, especially if, you know, if you frame it as, well, the previous generation just made things worse, it makes the problem seem even mm. greater than it is. So while the problem is huge and it is daunting and it is complicated and no one person can fix it, I think it's important to recognize that we've done a lot and we have a starting point. Point. We have a foundation. So especially with Colorado, we are committed to nature. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. It surrounds us. We appreciate it. This is a great place for that movement to start. I think it it should and, and needs to and can happen anywhere. But we can be a model. We can be a model for other places and help them intentionally educate the next generation, educate children and encourage children to educate their families about the value of nature, the value of, of sustainability, the value of, of using a little less and being a little bit more environmentally conscious and doing it in intentional ways. We don't always do that in Colorado, but I think we do a better job here because many of us are here because we love nature. So that helps and that makes us a natural place to cultivate a new kind of perspective and a critical one. In fact, there are many schools across the globe that have adopted this type of learning model. This model of the International IB program is a great example of this. Let's take a listen to an explanation of the roots of this type of learning model. In 1968, a group of innovative educators founded the International Baccalaureate, or IB for short, an educational non-profit organization based in Geneva, Switzerland. Its principles are based on the pedagogy of Marie-Thérèse Moret. She believed that all children should gain a global perspective on our world before they study at their own national history. The goal? To provide kids with the intellectual, emotional and social skills needed to live, learn and work in a globalizing world. The IB education model adopted by schools worldwide emphasizes holistic learning, including a strong focus on environmental awareness and sustainable practices. Schools following this model instill a deep appreciation for nature and sustainability in students, fostering a generation of environmentally conscious leaders. Colorado can serve as a shining example, demonstrating how education can shape young minds to become stewards of our planet. I really do relate to that as a whole. I mean, I grew up in Colorado too. I went through the Colorado school system and like your kids, I pretty much went through that, you know, bike to school day, earth day type of thing as well. So it's something that I really don't want to 
be seen turned into history where we're just looking back and we're like, oh, it used to be so beautiful here. You know what happened? I want it to be preserved in the future generations. But then I also get to the other side where we're essentially being told it's kind of that your fault type of thing that this mm-hmm. all happened. And I'm like, I'm only like six. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even know what recycling or environmental consciousness is yet. It's, it's heavy. Just, it's heavy. It's heavy for kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, I mean, it's heavy for it's I heavy mean, for, for college students. It's heavy for adults. I mean, to really think about that question, well, how do we tackle our climate crisis? Well, <laughs> that's a big question. Um, but, you know, going back to the great start that we have here in Colorado and ways I think we're ahead of different states. But how can we take it to the next level here in Colorado? I don't want to see us become stagnant. And, you know, mm-hmm. these bike to work days are great. These environmental learning setups that we have are great. These recycling days are great. What can we do to take us to the next level and not let this just, you know, be the line? Also a tough question, but a good one and a critical one. First of all, I think it's important to recognize that we're a diverse state. When we talk about Colorado and its commitment to the environment, we are largely talking about the Front Range. And in a way, that commitment to the environment is a privilege. Rural Colorado have a different relationship with the environment. They they use it. They need it just like we do. So I think we we have a bit of a divide in how we see the environment in, in this state, even within this state. And if we're going to really take it to the next level and address our climate crisis and be a model for other states, we need to get past that polarization. We need to have we need to find common ground with Coloradoans across the state, and we need to move forward collectively. And I think we can do that, but it's it's tough. Again, I think I think educating youth will help. That kind of thing would be amazing if we could implement public school curriculum across the state. I think that would be a great starting point. Another thing that I would love to see is more discussions, more engaged discussions with stakeholders from across the state. I would love to see those of us who are committed to climate in the front range go over to the Western Slope and have authentic conversations with people there who may see things differently, but maybe not. Because we we all love our planet. We just express it in different ways and we have different priorities. CDI's events have consistently served as a platform for fostering genuine dialogue among diverse groups of individuals. CDI's commitment to creating spaces for authentic conversations have been instrumental in our mission. For instance, our second annual gathering, Colorado in a Hotter Time, which took place in Denver at the CSU Spur campus last month, proved to be an enormous success in getting people together to have these critical conversations. Now, both you and I had the privilege of being a part of this remarkable event. It was truly inspiring to witness how, during those two days, we brought together an impressive assembly of over 130 participants, each hailing from diverse backgrounds, spanning fields such as business, education, faith, government, media, and legal. These types of gatherings allow us to engage in authentic and unfiltered conversation, which is a rarity in many other forums. Participants brought their unique expertise to the table, helping us collaboratively chart out long-term goals for our work. And they will continue to play a crucial role in the actualization of these goals. Our presenters and panelists added further richness to the discussion, with over 30 experts sharing their perspectives on the pressing issues we face and how we can collectively chart a path forward. But CDI's vision extends beyond the confines of our events. We definitely aspire to broaden the scope of our conversations and deepen our engagement with stakeholders from all corners of the state. 
Imagine those of us deeply committed to climate action in the front range reaching out to the Western Slope for authentic conversations. These dialogues would provide an opportunity to bridge gaps and build understanding, recognition that our love for the planet unites us all, even though we may express it in different ways and have varying priorities. It's about finding common ground and forging a collective path towards a sustainable future. I can see that definitely in terms of there's kind of a divide between, like you said, the front range and the western range on that end. It seems like like we all really do care about our planet and especially the state. And you see that in the western range as well. I mean, it's pretty much just nature the entire way through it. And everybody there is a mountain man, a mountain woman, and they're all self-sufficient, living off the land or just appreciating the lakes and beauty that's around there too. So you know that they have a love for it, but it kind of seems like our ways of communicating that just kind of clash a lot. And I know it's going to be difficult to kind of answer because it's such a big answer, but what do you believe would be a good way to kind of bridge that gap and bridge that divide? Yeah, yeah, that is the question. Climate change, as we all know, is politicized. And that's unfortunate, especially in this country. So in some ways, I think the United States, with our history, national parks, we we have an opportunity to lead the world, but we also waste more than just about any other place. So we are some of the, the biggest consumers in the world. So we also have an opportunity to learn from other places. But we can also learn from other countries where climate change is less politicized. It's not nearly as politicized in Europe. And, and I, I, I respect how government officials and advocates appreciate the challenges that we're facing and want to address them regardless of their political beliefs. And, and I think like that's where we need to get to. And I actually think we kind of are. When I said earlier that I have students come into my classroom from all different backgrounds, mm all different parts of the political spectrum. And most of those students are concerned about what is happening to our climate, what is happening to our earth. So I think younger generations are getting beyond that political divide. And that's really encouraging. And it's really critical. I also think there are strategies beyond educating the youth. That's an important one. But there are other strategies that I've seen that tend to be effective. When you can talk to people about changes and issues that directly concern them or seem particularly critical to them, when you can personalize it, then they get on board. As an example for my discipline for environmental history, and I attended a, a panel where the panelists, the, the presenters were talking about, I don't even know what to call it. It was, wasn't exactly a study. It was a, a practice that they had implemented in their community where they reenacted natural disasters from the community over the past 50 years. Oh, wow. And they basically created plays based on oral history. So these were nonfiction, like actual events that had happened that had impacted the community, like major floods and fires. And then they invited community members in to watch these reenactments, these plays. And then they had a conversation about it. And the conversation afterward helped all of the community members come to consensus about how to address climate change, 
and adapt to climate change. In, That's amazing. Yeah, and and I I love that they did this, for example, in rural Pennsylvania, which is not mm. something that would necessarily come to mind <laughs> right. when you think about people who are naturally going to be on board with climate change. But because people didn't think of it as this big abstract thing, they thought of it as, oh yeah, I remember when that flood happened. It was terrible. I don't want that to ever happen again. I don't want it to happen to my kids. What can we do about this? Mm-hmm. And then they turned from the big abstract problem out there to problems and solutions within their community. And they really came together to address it. And that was so cool to see. I would love to see more of that. I love that. That's completely thinking out of the box and mm-hmm. doing something different to address these major questions that we have and being able to bark discussions and ways for us to act and, and make a change. I don't know if you how long you've been here, but you remember the, the major flood that we had in Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. For those of you who do not know about it, let's take a listen to this clip from Nine News. Steady heavy rain causes usually friendly Spring Creek to snap. Local photojournalists record the rage. The whole thing's moving! Get out of the way, quick! Go around the south side of the light pole. Stay close to it. Got that? The storm caused five deaths, left many homeless, and ravaged the campus of Colorado State University. It was entirely too close to call for the staff who were here. It had six staff people in the game room, and they were mopping up water as it trickled into the building, and then uh, they couldn't see the water rising on the door because it was dark outside. But they knew that there was too much water, and they got out and missed the doors blowing in by a matter of seconds. This was devastating here at CSU, off of college down by Dairy Queen. There's this statue that's a little reminder in the park, you know, but it's really out of sight and out of mind unless you go down to that park and have ice cream. And otherwise, you're simply just driving by it. It's something that happened years ago. It goes by, you forget. So being able to, you know, throw it in your face again and remember, hey, this was real, this happened, and this can happen again, it's going to continue to happen. I think it's an incredible way to go about this. Speaking of implementing different strategies, you mentioned New Jersey has implemented some really neat stuff education-wise. Can you shed some light on what they're doing? You said you would like to see that just across the board. Well, just implementing statewide climate education for K through 12. That's exactly what we need. That's not the only thing, but that's a great start. Like I said earlier, I increasingly see students when they, by the time they get to CSU, they're concerned about the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. They know about it. They, They want to help. They want to address it. They know it's a problem. We need to start, we need to make sure we start young. We need to make sure that our children, as soon as they get to school, are aware of this not terrified of it, not just scare them, you know, because yeah. it is heavy. It's a good point. Um, but kind of like how we've done with recycling, with bike to work, bike to school, encouraging our children to interact with nature and to value nature and natural spaces from a very young age, that will instill a broader appreciation for our resources, for our earth, and a commitment to it and a commitment to living sustainably. 
And it also will have a ripple effect with their families, with adults, with the older generations, with the world. So yeah, so I appreciate what New Jersey is trying to do in terms of implementing that climate education throughout their public school system. And I think we can do it on a one-off, you know, individual instructors, individual teachers, individual schools who are committed can make an impact, but if diversity level as well, and I'm working on that with the Climate and Democracy Initiative, working on building templates for climate and democracy education for universities across the state as a model that we could then export to other states. But I think it's, I mean, it's ideal if students come to us with this knowledge and this concern already, and if they also share it more broadly. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you were talking about it kind of made me think I was also at a conference recently and he's the creator of this like Jack Box games. If you ever played any of those, more or less, he's uh, also the founder and one of the executive members of Unify America, where they talk about issues about this. His name is, uh, I'm probably going to butcher his last name, so I do apologize for that, but his name is Harry Gottlieb. And he talks about this idea of deliberative democracy where it's rather than everybody being so focused on trying to figure out what the problem is or what different Mm -hmm. variants of the problem, they unify together and unite on trying to find a solution. Mm -hmm. So I really see it being strongly implemented with the younger generation Mm -hmm. like you were talking about. And it kind of maybe relate to the college students that that you that you teach because mm-hmm. they're not so much focused on the problem mm-hmm. because they already know what the mm-hmm. problem is and mm-hmm. it's that the planet is hot mm-hmm. or more or less not that the planet is ne- well it, it is hot but that because of global warming and all of its consequences our climates are being thrown out of balance and it's causing a ripple effect of like destruction and disaster and they know that so now they want to unify together regardless of their political views and while that may cause you know people to butt heads mm-hmm. at some points, the process ultimately helps everybody come together to a solution. And it made me think of what you're doing now with your projects for environmental studies and getting that just spread to every university. So I, I really want to know the end game. If it's implemented nationally, what do you ultimately hope? I would love to see every student who gets a degree, ideally any institution, two-year, four-year, et cetera, community college, four-year institution like CSU, come away with a fundamental knowledge of our climate crisis, as well as democracy and the tools to advocate for those things. That's what I would love to see. And that's what I'm working on. I think that's a wonderful goal. Absolutely. I definitely agree. I think that's that's perfect. And that's a great end to this podcast. I can't wait to see what you continue to do with all of your projects. I'm going to continue to follow and we hope to have you back here in the studio with us for a follow up to see what's going on and, you know, have more discussions surrounding such a major topic. I really hope to. There's so much to learn from you. I might sign up for one of your classes. Oh, thank you so much. I would love to have you. And um, it's it's been great to be here. And I think I've learned a lot from you as well, both of you. And I would love to come back and share an update. You know, and that's what it's all about. Like I said, we none of us have all of the answers. But if we can do this and we can sit and put our minds together and, you know, at least expand our ways of thinking and come up with new ideas together, that you know, that's a good start. So... With that being said, what is your final word for our listeners today? I think I think about ticking the needle. I think the climate crisis, democracy, these are both huge things and they are overwhelming and they can they can cause us to lose hope. 
So what I tell my students and and what I would tell anybody is you don't have to solve the world. You don't have to solve all the problems. You can't. No way. But if you can just tick the needle a little bit in the positive direction, if you can just do that during the course of your life somehow, and we all can, then, then you can be satisfied that you've made a difference. That's what I try to do. And that's what I want everyone to do. Every one of my students, everyone in the world, if we all did that, we would solve this problem together. Couldn't have said it better. Beautiful. That is perfect. Well, again, thank you so much for being here with us on today's episode of Heat Waves of Change. We truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. As I reflect on this enlightening conversation, I can't help but feel a sense of urgency and responsibility. Dr. Andrea Duffy's insights have underscored the gravity of the climate crisis and pivotal role we all play in addressing it. Climate change is not just an issue for scientists or policymakers. It's a challenge that affects every single one of us. Making climate information accessible and relatable to everyone is essential. I find myself pondering how I can contribute to the efforts in my own community, perhaps by organizing workshops or sharing educational resources, and most definitely educating my own children. The connection between the environment and the economy struck a chord with me as well. Hearing about how Colorado's natural beauty fuels its economy made me realize the delicate balance we must maintain. It's a stark reminder that our actions as consumers and citizens have direct consequences on our local and global environments. I'm now thinking about how I can make more sustainable choices in my daily life, from the products I purchase to the businesses I support. While progress is being made, there is still so much work ahead. I've started contemplating my own energy consumption habits and how I can advocate for and support renewable energy initiatives in my region. As I get ready to turn off my device and go about my day, I can't help but carry these reflections with me. The urgency of the climate crisis is undeniable, but so is the power of collective action. I'm left wondering, what concrete steps can I take to spread knowledge, make sustainable choices, and contribute to the global fight against climate change? It's a question that lingers, and one that holds the potential to shape the future of our planet. Well, everyone, that's all we have for this episode of Heat Waves of Change. My name is Portia Cook. This is only the first step, and it's really important that we all lend a helping hand to make sure our planet has a clean and green future. We can all rise to this challenge and start making environmentally friendly choices, getting involved with our local politicians, and doing the best to bring a meaningful change. In the meantime, we can support our local climate nonprofits, start eco-friendly projects, and take action ourselves to stop the effects of climate change. You can make a difference. More people are becoming concerned about the future of our planet and the state of our democracy every day. That is why it is so important that we all use our voice and exercise our right to vote. Your voice matters, and by casting your vote, you have the power to actively shape climate policies and elect leaders who truly care about ending the climate crisis. To register to vote, go to vote.gov and join us as we help create a greener, more equal world. You can visit the links in the description where you can find more info about our cause. Until next time, stay safe and remember, the clock is ticking and the future of the planet and the state of its democracy lies in our hands.